Drew, thank you very much for reading scripture and uh, the reminder also about uh, Memorial Day. Happy Memorial Day. I, uh, some of you are decked out in red, white, and blue, and uh, that's, uh, that's a great thing. I have blue and white. See that? And we won't go any farther. But, um, but welcome. We're glad that you're here. Uh, Memorial Day is, um, is one of those holidays that honestly, just, just humanly, makes me think of my dad. Uh, my dad was a uh, World War II veteran. Uh, he actually uh, never finished high school during the days of World War II and uh, was ultimately drafted and served in the, uh, the Asian theater. Actually, he uh, served doing uh, what was called mop-up duty in Japan, which was after uh, uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki. He was after that. And uh, I, I know my dad. My dad's in heaven now, but my dad uh, probably... Uh, scared out of his mind, uh, rode on a or uh, was on a troop ship that uh, took him from, well, flew to San Francisco and then was on a troop ship that went to Japan and had to go house to house in villages and so on. And so I think of my dad today, uh, uh, this weekend. Uh, my parents were always the kind that their generation that we would go to the family cemeteries and uh, seeing the military plaque. My grandpa was in. Uh, World War One, actually, closing days of World War One, too, and it was, uh, yeah, it's just always the military side of it. Uh, it just got to me a little bit. But actually, um, I, I want to start telling you, I, I've told you before a little bit about my dad, and I have some visual aids that we'll, we'll get to in a minute, uh, but uh, my dad was, um, uh, in, in a lot of ways, although not educated, never finished high school, was really uh, a precise uh record keeper. I'm not sure why he did all that, but my dad and, and Peggy Smiling and, and Todd probably remembers as well. My dad would, uh, I think every day of his life, he had these little notebooks that he would keep in his shirt pocket. And, and first of all, every single trip, my dad would uh, write down every penny he spent, which, which drove me nuts as a kid. But he, he had this Tiny, tiny, very precise writing, and he would write it down, and uh, he, he would just record keep. The other day, I was actually going through uh, some of his old army, some of his military stuff, and I'm not even sure. He had these boxes of stuff that he kept these notebooks in, and I found one, one of his little notebooks, and that particular notebook, okay, my dad died, what, like 82 or something like that, years old? I think in that little notebook, he had a record of every, with little tiny handwriting of every single car he had ever purchased in his life. How much it cost, where he got it from, what the year was. He had all these little, you know, and, and, and if there were payments, there were payments on there and so on. But um, one of the things that my dad and my mom enjoyed doing was putting puzzles together. And my dad, every single puzzle, my mom and dad literally had hundreds of puzzles in this closet of our house. And, and they're gone, and we didn't save them. To be real honest with you, it drove me nuts. But um, uh, all these puzzles were puzzles that my mom and dad had put together. Okay, puzzles. I have a couple of illustrations here, okay? You get it. The, the box... The picture on the front of the puzzle, you know, you know, like jigsaw puzzles, right? And up in the corner, in my dad's tiny little handwriting, would be I, puzzles. When he got the puzzle, and when my family put it together, okay, so that he would know if it came time to recycle the puzzle, he would know how long ago they already did that puzzle. And I think my dad figured out that after a while, my mom would forget that they did that puzzle, and so some of them had like two dates on them, on them. some of them had three dates on them, that, that my parents put those puzzles together, and my personality is like, I would do like two pieces and walk away and go watch the ball game. But my parents put uh, puzzles together. But some, I mean, thinking about that this week, uh, somewhere in the queue of puzzles, there was this one puzzle, and my dad had note of it up in the upper right corner in his little tiny handwriting, had note of it that there were actually pieces missing. 
If I remember right, there were two pieces missing. And uh, my dad made note of that, but I don't think he ever told my mom that there were pieces missing. So there were a couple times that that particular puzzle came up in the queue and they would put it together and get to the end and my dad wouldn't throw it away, but there'd be a couple of pieces of puzzle missing and the whole family was frustrated and uh, it's, it's, it's still a terrible memory for me from this day. Puzzle pieces missing. Fast forward, this Christmas, Peggy and I drove out to Iowa to visit our other son. You've met our daughter, Christy. She lives in Berlin. You've met Todd. Uh, he's the pastor here. And uh, Travis, you haven't met him yet. You'll probably meet him this, this summer. He is a, uh, a pastor in Ankeny, Iowa. And we drove out together. And I don't even know why, Peg. I don't even know why. But we put a puzzle together at Christmas time. And I had uh, terrible flashbacks of my dad. Travis is kind of like my personality. He's not going to write in the corner when they put the piece of the puzzle together. But uh, we're getting close to the end of the puzzle. You know, puzzles, right? You put the frame together, the square pieces together, and all of that kind of stuff. And, and all of us were working on it a little bit from time to time. Casey, our daughter-in-law, is pretty precise, too. And it was really important. So, like, like Lana, our granddaughter, was working on it. Peggy, Travis, Casey, and me a little bit. And we got to the end, and we realized uh, that uh, there was a piece missing. Okay, and Casey is literally going all over the house because if you, how many of you are puzzle putter together or whatever, all right? You know, okay, you know this then, right? You get to the end and there's a piece missing and it drives everybody nuts, right? And it, the whole family at Christmas time was in chaos. You know, I was in the middle of the, having that adult asthma thing and, you know, I, I, pretend to have asthma fits and walk away. Uh, but uh, the whole family's just going nuts. And, and one, I'm sitting in a chair in the living room, and we have, Travis and Casey have three children, Lana, Ellie, and Finn. Finn is five years old. And so as they're panicking, looking for this piece, Finn says, I have it. And no one paid attention to little Finn. And Casey's vacuuming. She's looking under stuff. She opened up the vacuum. She's picking up the, you know, they're picking, they're moving the, tra they made Travis, you know, move the couch. They're looking under the rugs, all of this kind of stuff. And Finn is like, I took it. And after a while, I think, Casey finally believed her son and said, and, and maybe it was Lana and Ellie, the older sisters. No offense, but you know how older sisters are. And, uh, and said, uh, Finn, where is that piece to the puzzle? And matter-of-factly, you know, dead serious, he said, I put it in my piggy bank. <laughs> and so Casey went over and um, opened up Finn's piggy bank, and in there is probably, you know, a dollar and 13 cents, and one piece of the puzzle, right? <laughs> Finn had it, and he was telling the truth the whole time. I want to use putting a puzzle together uh, as an illustration this morning. There are, um, there are two frustrations in puzzle. I can't, I can't think of the right word, you know, in putting puzzles together, right? One, if you have a piece that doesn't fit, and you try, right? You're, 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 if you put puzzles together, you understand you want to make that fit. The colors seem to fit. The shape seems to fit. But for whatever, in fact, that's the point of the jigsaw is it won't fit unless it's designed to fit, right? And then the other frustration, and I've just told you a couple of illustrations about that, is if there are pieces missing. We're talking in our series about the church. And I think it's important as we start today, and we start our series, but especially today, we're going to talk about why church is that I think it's important to understand that you fit in the church. You do. It's God's plan. God sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to earth to die on the cross. He established his church. It is what God is doing in the world today, his church. 
And I think that the church, the big picture of what God is doing in the world today, the church, I think it's important that we start with this idea today by, of why church, to realize that you fit in church. There's actually two points to our series that I'm going to try to highlight both of them this morning. One is the church is God's design, understanding God's design. And the other part of it is understanding where I fit. And so again, folks, I want to emphasize this morning as I go through this message that in God's economy, in God's system, in God's plan, you fit in the church. God wants you. God wants his people. God wants people to come to Christ and be a part of his church. It is what God is doing. And then the second thing is also important, and if that is, if there is a piece missing, and that is the people of God not doing what God's intended, not doing what God would have us to do to serve him, then there is a frustration because the church isn't all that God would have it to be because of we're missing our bar role. So what I want to do is, first of all, I want you to understand that in the Bible, in the New Testament, the church is a grand theme. It is part of God's system for the ages. And the Gospels talk about the story of Christ, the story of Jesus, and how he died, how he was born, how he lived his life, his disciples, how he died on the cross, how he rose again the third day, and, and, and came back. He was resurrected Lord and came back, and his job, his, his purpose was he challenged his followers, his students, his disciples, to establish the church, and for the rest of time, that is what God is doing in the world today. So I want to talk with you this morning, just quickly, about some biblical theological reasons for the church. And we're going to talk about that as God's design. And I, this is not uh, a theology lesson. This is not, you know, the heavy and serious. What I've tried to do is boil that down to very practical things about what God is doing through the church and then we're going to look at one passage as we, as we ramp up today. And we're going to talk about how, how we fit, how you fit, how I fit in the church. And we're going to talk about some practical, some beneficial reasons for the church. Okay, that's what we're going to do. Now, I have um, uh, some visual aids. And so it's Memorial Day. It's, uh, we're, we're a casual church, right? I'm going to give two puzzles away. I was thinking on the way down this morning uh, how to give them away. So I'm, I'm going to do this. Uh, who is the person here that uh, drove the farthest to come other than walkers can't win? None of us, okay? Who's the, far, who's the person that drove the farthest? Anybody come over 20 miles? How far? 27. Can anybody beat that? Okay, now. Here are the, here's the puzzles. You can pick which one you want, okay? You've got birdies. <laughs> or over here is actually the castle in Germany, and I've been to that castle, that the whole Disney motif, and, and that was a thousand pieces of, of birdies. But that one is uh, the castle in Germany, and you're, you're welcome to pick at the end. Take one with you, right? And I'm going to ask you next time I see you if you put, if you put it together. No, actually, I'm not. Okay, anybody? Uh, okay, 27. All right, all right. Let, who is the person that's closest to the church? Anybody less than a mile? Anybody less than two miles? Anybody less than three miles? Three miles? Okay, you, whatever he doesn't take, you can take. All right, Colleen, you can take. You can take the puzzle. Either... A castle in Germany or birdies? Okay. Um, have, yeah, take your bulletin, get a pen, get your Bible out. We're going we're gonna to go through this. Uh, Drew, let us in prayer, but let me pray. We'll ask God's blessing upon the, uh, on our study together. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your church. And God, I just pray that you'd help us to understand what you're doing, but also how we fit and challenge us and motivate us. Father, I pray that you'd work in our lives, work through us as well as we're involved in what you're doing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. Uh, two, two sections of the message today. Number one is I want to talk with you about what I'm calling biblical and theological reasons for the church. 
Now, um, let me just show you. You have all of these verses in your bulletin. These are just some of the key references in the New Testament about the church. All right? These are just some of them. At some point, uh, if, if God would lead you to do this, it'd be great if you study through that. I think you will be motivated. I think God will bless your heart. I think God will encourage your heart, maybe even convict your heart about the church and, and so on. And, and what I wanted you to know is, again, look at all of that list. The, the church is a big deal in the New Testament. And so um, by the magic of Google... It's, you know, in the old days, it was the Strong's Exhaustive Concordance. Remember those days? But the word church is mentioned 115 times in the New Testament. The word church, which means an assembly and a called out assembly. Most often, it talks about a local body of church. That brings us to number two, my second little box that's on the PowerPoint slide. There are at least... 32 specific local churches mentioned in the New Testament. 32. In fact, there are at least six regions of churches where Paul would often write, the churches that are in blank churches uh, greet you, or I send greetings to them as well. Regions of churches. Okay, this is when the New Testament is the story of the church. It's the story of the church being new. And so I love the fact that as time progresses in the narrative of the New Testament, that the church became a huge priority. In fact, if you just read through the New Testament, especially Acts and then the epistles, you'll realize of how important the church, the local church was to individual people. Can I tell you just another observation? Um, in the Bible, there aren't any cookie-cutter churches either. You know, I grew up, my generation grew up, where I've told you about my dad even this morning. We would go on vacation, and my parents were the kind of people that even on vacation, uh, we would have to go to church. We'd have to, you know, all, we'd my mom would take all dress up clothes. We'd have to dress up on Sunday morning, and we would, I have two brothers. I have an older brother and a younger brother, and, and the Walker family would march into a church. In fact, often when we were kids, we would go on vacation with my uncle, my dad's brother, and his family, and they had three boys. By the time we got inside high school, all of us were over six foot, and so we'd go on vacation, and there's six Walker cousins, you know, and being big, I think we would always demand that they put us in the same class and not have to divide us up by little ages or whatever. But we would, we would go to church. And, and, and in my, my generation, it was almost like, okay, my home church, it would be like, you know, Sunday school classes and morning service. And there'd be like, you know, like two songs and announcements and special music and the choir. You know, it seemed like church was cookie cutter. And we'd visit these churches on vacation and it would be almost the same exact thing. You know, songs, announcements, you know, special music, you know, some more songs, the choir, and everybody be dressed up, and everybody, remember the Sunday school pins? You know, some of you grew up in my, in my day and all of that kind of stuff, and that, that was it. It seemed like church was the same. That's not how it was in the Bible. The first church was a Jerusalem church. They were the church that had everything in common. People sold land and gave it to the church. and They had everything in common. The second church that's recorded in, in the Bible was the church at Antioch. They didn't do that. The church at Antioch was the church that sent out missionaries and sent out the, the, Paul and Barnabas and John Mark and the others on the first missionary journey. And God was at work, and they, they didn't do that. And, and as the churches grew, some of them ended up in Asia. Some of them ended up in what's Europe now. And they, they, didn't, they weren't alike. And I think that's, that's a great thing, folks. And I, I love the fact that God never intended this cookie-cutter you know, assembly line church, that churches are different and unique and creative and, and, and it's, it's what God is doing. And honestly, one, sometime if you get a chance, go visit a church in a different culture. I, I love to visit the church crossway where our daughter Christy 
is a missionary in Germany. Like the first Sunday we're there, there's like people from 20 different countries, you know, all over the world, the strict, you know, Muslim countries and the African countries, you know, and on all of that and how refreshing it is to realize that God is using his church and that's all around the world and God is doing great things. And folks, God is doing great things. Even in Wilkesbury, Pennsylvania, even in Plains Township, this is what God's doing. And it's a good thing that the church isn't this cookie cutter, let's do the same thing all over and over. The church, Pastor Todd mentioned that last week. If you weren't here, look, you know, listen to his message sometime. The church is God's plan. It's what he's doing. And it gets messy sometimes because you and I are a part of church. People are a part of church. We're going to talk about that later. It gets messy sometimes. But it is God's plan. It is what God's doing. The second thing, which I'm trying to build, I'm trying to boil down biblical theological reasons into very practical things. So, so number two is also incredibly practical today. God loves his church. I made a list, and, and I realized as soon as it was done, and as soon as I gave the PowerPoint to Luke for the, uh, for the, for the, the computer, that, that, that I missed several. So this is not an exhaustive list. But one of the things that I love in the scriptures is how God often uses metaphors, illustrations of the church that help us get it. Like, he call, God calls the church a people. God calls the church the bride of Christ. He calls it a body. He calls it a household. He calls it a family. He calls it a house. And in building, he calls it a building. He, he refers to it as an army. He refers to it as a sanctuary. We'll talk about that in a little bit. And, and in another, another time, I mean, he, talks, he calls us sheep, right? God often uses those illustrations of the church. But one of the things is I just wanted to highlight as we get started is, is look at those particular metaphors, his bride, his body, his household, his family. And then it says in Ephesians, a great passage that we use for marriage, actually. And that is that Christ loved the church and he gave himself for it. Folks, God, the Lord Jesus Christ, came to this earth, died on the cross to save us from our sin. That's how much he loves his church. He calls his church his bride. And in heaven, there's going to be the... The, the great reunion, the great celebration where his bride will have the, the great banquet for, etern for eternity of being with the bridegroom. And Pastor Todd talked about that last week, of, of using that analogy of us making sure as his bride that we're ready, that we're prepared to meet the bridegroom sometime because he is coming back. Now, folks, that's an incredible thing. God loves his church, and that's just one, the bride of Christ. And I highlighted some of those that are really important, right? And, and yet, people today, we've become so critical and cutting often of the church, don't we? And I honestly, I thought about that a lot this week. And folks, honestly, it's like God convicted me of, of that this week, um, if you came to my house, and in my house were critical of my bride, you and I would probably end up having a conversation. In fact, I think at that moment, if you came into my house and were critical of my bride, I would probably remind you how big I am. <laughs> and I'm not sure, I, don't I wouldn't take that from you. Or if you came to me and were critical of my kids, or heaven forbid, my grandkids. I'll calm down, Mel. Calm down, right? And yet we do that. You look around, it's like we're, it's like people are critical of the church. People are critical. Yeah, I get it that it's messy. I get it that there's, there's issues and so on. But God loves his church. And he, he calls us his bride and his body and his household and his family. And I think it's important that we didn't understand that this church, yeah, there's weaknesses, it's messy because you and I are here. 
we're the humans. We're the ones that have the frailties. We're the ones that do. Yeah, but it's this is what God's doing. And so I think it's really, really important that we change our thinking and change our attitude and we have that respect because this is the local church. The local churches that aren't cookie-cutter churches that are different. It's okay. It is what God is doing in the world today. And God loves this church. Number three, the church is big. And it is what God's doing in the world today. If you read through the New Testament, you realize that God, in some of the, again, the metaphors there, the people, the body, the family, the building, the army, all of those kinds of things, kind of help us, the illustrations, kind of help us realize how big the church is. And that's why I mentioned sometimes it's, it's really good for us to get out of Dodge sometime and to realize that God is doing big things. Okay, I grew up in Montrose and Susquehanna County, and the farthest that we ever went away on vacation was the Finger Lakes in, in New York. And God, uh, we met, Peggy and I met in college, and the day of graduation from college, I met the pastor that I ended up serving as a youth pastor in Michigan. And I'll never forget it. Peggy and I had this old Ford LTD. That car was as big as my house. And we got in our car and we drove out to uh, Ypsilanti, Michigan. I didn't even know how to spell it or pronounce it. And people made fun of me because I mispronounced it and so on. Outside of Detroit. And you know what I'm thinking, this kid from Montrose that went to college in Clark Summit? You know what I'm thinking? What am I doing in Detroit? Oh my good, people were different than me. And the church was different than how I grew up. And I came to the conclusion that's, that's okay. And we lived in Michigan for several years and we moved to Iowa. What's this Pennsylvania boy doing in Iowa? Our children were growing and we moved back to Pennsylvania and then my, my daughter, my little girl grew up and told me that God had called her to Germany. And I grew up, every church is the same. Detroit helped me understand that. Iowa helped me understand that it's not true. And then my daughter moves to Germany and to realize God is using his church, the church of Nazis, the, church, the country of Nazis, the country of communism. And, God is using Crossway International Church to meet people all over the world and bring people to Christ and see them grow in Christ. The church, the church is big. In Revelation chapter 7, which is actually a passage about the great tribulation, he talks about a great multitude which no one could number of all nations, of all tribes, of all people, and all tongues. Folks, the church is big. It's really important to realize that God is doing that. And if you look at the verses that are the Great Commission verses, all nations, all the world, every person, all nations, to the end of the world, sometimes our world, folks, gets really, really small. It gets like our own little neighborhood, our own little people group or whatever, unless we're intentional. I think God wants us to understand that His work is big and God is doing something and we can be a part of that. Did you ever notice it's human nature to want to be a part of something big? It is. It is. I, this dumb illustration coming. You ready? This, my illustrations. I mean, I, I was a basketball player. It's my my favorite sport. I grew up being that. And so I, I think of basketball illustrations. When I was a kid, I didn't know anybody that li that actually liked the Chicago Bulls. But they drafted this skinny kid out of North Carolina that ended up being a pretty fair basketball player. Maybe you heard of him. His name is Michael Jordan. And all of a sudden, people were spending over $100. Are you kidding me? I played in white Converse All-Stars that cost me $9 at the department store in Montrose, Pennsylvania. And now people are spending Air Jordans, and now they're like, you know, you have to take out a mortgage on your house to buy Air Jordans. You know, it's like he, he, he bandwagon, right? And then if, I didn't know anybody that actually liked the Cleveland Cavaliers. Are you kidding me? But all of a sudden they got this guy that ended up being a pretty fair basketball player, LeBron James, and it kind of changed things. We're witnesses in his shoes and all of that. And the Golden State Warriors, 
Nate Thurmond and Rick Barry shoot free throws underhanded. That's the basketball. And all of a sudden, Steph Curry and Warriors shirts and all of that. Bandwagon. We jump on the bandwagon. Folks, forgive my dumb basketball illustrations. The church is big. The church is what God is doing in the world today. It's the biggest day. It's the biggest thing ever. <laughs> it's water. It's okay. It's the biggest thing ever. And to realize that we can be a part of what God is doing in the world today. Thank you very much, Jeannie. Thank you. To be a part of what God is doing in the world today is, is amazing. All over the world. And to think that someday we're going to be at the throne of God and to be with people from all over the world and to see people of every tribe, every tongue, every language, all, all, all the people groups. That's amazing to me. And that is what God is doing in the world today. And that's why the Lord Jesus Christ himself said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not even prevail against it. God is doing something great, and it is his church. Number four, quickly, number four. God wants his people to be committed to and involved in his church. He does. And we're going to spend more time today, but I want to just kind of talk with you about, again, using my list of uh, illustrations or metaphors there or whatever, let me just think through this with you. If you were to sum up all of those kind of things, and what I'm trying to do is take the biblical, the big picture um, illustrations of the church and kind of boil them down, that there's three categories which I think are really important for us to understand about the church. Number one is belonging, that God has given us something. Remember I talked to you about the frustrations of putting puzzles together, and if there's a piece that doesn't fit, well, you fit in here and you fit we fit in God's church and I think a sense of belonging is important for us to talk about I think a sense of activity we'll talk about that that God's church at the the last message in this series we're going to talk about that about go church about do church that that God I hope you understand my heart that God never intended church to be for attendees only he wants us to participate. He wants us to be involved. It's not just a spectator sport. Show up and cheer. And we'll, we'll talk about that more in a minute. And also God intended growth. Let me just talk with you about that. If you were to look at the big picture of the church in the New Testament, <coughs> if you were to look at the big picture of the church in New Testament, I think you would come to the conclusion that it's God's plan for us to be involved in His church. And that gives us a sense of belonging to something. Now, there's two overarching principles, okay? One is what I call, that is even true in a remedial sense. The other principle that I think is important to belonging, and that is true even in a preventative sense. Let me talk with you a little bit about that. Um, I got to Michigan. I've told you that story today. The first Sunday I was there, they introduced me as the brand new youth pastor of the church. I've told you the story before. I got up and I'm like, you know, thanks for voting me in. I'm the new youth pastor. All I did was just give this little welcome to the church. And I'm up front, the, the senior pastor, this white-haired, distinguished gentleman that was my pastor, introduced me as the, as the new youth pastor. And here's this church, probably about 800 people, a church just out, outside of Detroit in Michigan. And I looked out in the crowd, and out to the left of me was the scariest guy I'd ever met in my entire life. And I honestly thought, okay, I'm in Detroit. I'm scared out of my mind. This is Detroit area. I'm thinking, you know, we never had people that were that scary back in Montrose. We never really had that. You know, I'm thinking, oh, I'm, I'm, I literally am scared. And I'm, I'm a big guy. I'm not normally scared. But I thought, honestly, he just looked the part. To be real honest with you, he looked evil to me. And during the service, I sat down, and I'm praying, praying, I, I hope he's not a mass murderer, you know, I hope he's not that kind of guy. And when the service was over, that particular Sunday, our pastor gave an invitation, asked people to come and accept Christ. And Ron, that guy, gets up and marches to the front. I thought, oh no, he's going to kill the pastor. <laughs> and that Sunday, he came to Christ. Ron was 30. He had been in jail over half of his life at that point. Ron 
no kidding, Gillentine, made me realize the church has a place for people like Ron. The church has a place for people like this guy by the name of Saul. Maybe you heard of him. He turned out to be the Apostle Paul. He led murders. He was the enemy. And he miraculously came to Christ. He saw, he saw the Lord and, and got saved and came to Christ. The church is a place for people like, like that, like, just like Saul. Here's another one. Matthew. Remember the story of the disciple Matthew? He was a tax collector. He was the guy that cheated everybody. And people hated him, except the other tax collectors. And Matthew came to Christ, and this guy became one of Christ's disciples. And, and, and he, he, was the, he was a bad dude. And he came to Christ, and God changed his life. And he wrote the first book of the New Testament. And then there were people like the woman at the well and others. I, aren't you glad that there's a remedial aspect to the church that there's a place for people even like that or even like us my kids Christy Todd and Travis you know them. You, you'll meet Travis uh, grew up in the shadow of Mel Walker you know and I'm really thankful that there's a place in the church for people like me, I came to Christ when I was five. I was in church the first Sunday I was ever alive. I went through some bad things in my life, but I'm very thankful that there's a preventative aspect to the church. You know, one of the reasons that I've dedicated my life to young people is I want young people to grow up as church kids, to go on for God for the rest of their lives. My daughter is a missionary in Germany, and I'm very thankful that there's preventative. Her story is... God kept her from some of those things. And I'm very thankful that that's my story too. And you know there's stories in the Bible of church kids. Read the story of John Mark in Acts 12 and 13. John Mark was a church kid. The church met in his house. Peter's in prison. The disciples are getting martyred. And the church met for prayer in the house of Mary, the mother of John Mark. John Mark went on the first missionary journey ever. He went through some bumps along the way. I love John Mark because I went through some bumps along the way too. And John Mark was one of those young people that grew up to go on for God. The Apostle Paul, at the end of his life, talks about John Mark and he says, bring John Mark, he's profitable for the ministry. Timothy was a church kid. Remember the story of Timothy a few chapters later? Paul shows up in Lystra and Derby, and Timothy's already there. Great kid, a dysfunctional family, which gives me a lot of hope. Even out of dysfunctional families, God can do great things. And Timothy came to Christ and had this faithful, dependable reputation, and God saved him. And God used John Mark to write one of the Gospels, the Gospel of Mark, and John used Tim God used Timothy. Timothy was the last letter that Apostle Paul ever wrote. His Apostle Paul's in jail, in prison, under Nero, about to be martyred. The time of my departure is at hand, he writes. And yet, 2 Timothy is all about the memories that they had together. Timothy was this church kid. So folks, my point about that is there is a place for you and me in the church. There's a sense of belonging. And it is what God's doing. And we're part of that big picture that what God is doing... There's also, and, and, and I love this in Galatians, Galatians 3, that in the church it's neither Jew nor Greek, it's neither slave nor free, which is a big deal back then, and neither male nor female. But we're all one in Jesus. There's a place for you in the church. If God is working in your life and brings, him to, brings you to himself, then there is a place of belonging. There's a place of activity. We're going to talk about this at the very end. I'm going to show you one passage of Scripture and talk about that. I think as you look at the church in the New Testament, you'll realize that God intended activity, doing to be a part of his church. <coughs> that, God, that God intended us to serve. And I love that. And, and a commitment to be 
a part of his church. And again, look at some of the, the illustrations, the metaphors. They, they imply that. And, and, and Drew read that passage that we're going to get back to that in a minute. And then also, in the church, God intended growth. The passage that we look at is going to talk a lot about spiritual growth. But if you read through Acts, <coughs> and some of those references I have there in your notes, talks about numerical growth, about how God... <coughs> God helps his church to grow and it is his church and that's something that's a part of what God's doing as well and that's because he wants us to reach more people for Christ okay and saying all of that now that was my illustration let's look at one passage together if you have your Bibles I'm going to look at one passage and this is not folks this is not like an exposition like I'm going to go through and teach you the passage. I'm going to pull out, and you have them in your notes there. You don't have to write down a lot, but you have them in your notes. I'm going to, I'm going to pull out seven different advantages as we talk about why church. I'm going, to, I'm going to pull out seven different things from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. You have, but, but, and, I, and I, let, me, let me read it. I'm reading from the New King James. Ephesians chapter 4, let me start reading at verse 11. Ephesians 4, 11 through verse 16, a passage which is a key passage in what the Bible says about the church. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. <coughs> and he himself, which is really, really, really important, that this is the church is God's thing, God's idea, God's plan. He himself, capital H, H's, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, perfect person, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Verse 14, that we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and the cunning craftness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body, for the edifying of itself in love. That's our key passage, and I'm going to do this really quickly, but I want to end up showing you the seven advantages or purposes that, uh, that, that God can do and is doing in our lives through His church. Verse 11, let me just give a little bit of foundational, and I mentioned that to start off with. It's really, really important. It really is, as we study the church, to understand that the church is God's idea. This passage, a key passage about the church, starts with that this is a God thing. This is what God did. He himself gave gifts to the church. Okay? Um, we, we live today, okay? Centuries have gone by. We live in a very me centered, consumer-centered culture, right? And I think if we're going to study the church as a church, as a body, I think it's really, really, really important that each one of us realize, I'm going to smile real big, Mel Walker, cheesy grin, right? And I love you, and I love being a part of this church, and I put that on Google Review yesterday for, for Todd. I didn't want my son mad at me. Um, <laughs> I love this church. I really do. But can I, can I be blunt and honest? The church isn't about you. And it's not about me. We need to understand that the church is about Jesus. It's about Christ. We're here for Him. It's not about me. It's not about making Mel Walker happy. And I think as our, our consumerism grows, I think we've got this idea that the church has to be about me. Traveling, getting out of Dodge, going to other cultures is really good for you because you realize, I don't have to have my way. I don't have to have my little, little Mel Walker opinions to rule the day that the church is bigger than me. And we need to understand that the church is about Christ. It's His deal. It's His work. 
It's his plan. And that's, that's really important for us to start. This verse says that he gave gifts to the church and he gave apostles and some prophets. If you look at Ephesians chapter 2, I think it's, uh, yeah, verse 20, talks about that those were foundational gifts for the church. And then he writes about evangelists, basically missionaries. And then he writes about pastors and teachers, which in the language, that's one office. We've talked about that going through 1 Peter, that pastors are teachers, that pastors lead by teaching, that pastors feed by teaching. And I think that's pretty important for us to, us to understand that too. But then, but then here's the passage that I just read. <clears throat> and I wanted to highlight two things, and then I'm going to give you the seven, the seven advantages. And that is the grand purposes of the church, the big idea purposes of the church. This passage kind of tells us boiled down into two things. That really everything that God is doing for the church, that number one, everything that God is doing for the church, what is God trying to do? Number one is equip the saints. This, this text says that God gave gifts to the church, pastors, to equip the saints, and we'll talk about this in just a minute, for the work, key word, work, of ministry, that the church needs to be about equipping and I think number two, which is why I emphasized the belonging part a few minutes ago about the remedial and the preventative, that God has a place for people in the church, no matter what your background is. If you've come through some things, God has a place for you. If God has protected you from some things, God has a place for you. For the edifying of the body. The word edifying is not one that we use a lot today. It means building or building up it has the idea of spiritual growth and i think one of the things that you know many of you here know better than me is that our church wyoming valley church needs to be about the business of helping people grow spiritually that's what we need to be about right that's what his church is about to equip people to, to serve and to build up the body so that we grow in christ and and uh, that we're edifying, that growing spiritually. Well, here's the seven things. <coughs> and I'm going to do this really quickly. And this is not an exposition of this passage. This is highlights, really. But there's seven things. One is that God gave his church, again, to help us grow, to help us grow toward maturity. If you would look at what God says about the church in the New Testament, about the church in the Scriptures, you'll realize that maturity, growing in Christ, growing up, is a big deal to God. It really is. This passage, I read it and I know you know it, that we no longer are children. God wants us to grow. God wants you to grow. God wants me to grow. That's the purpose of church. That we come and that, of course, because there are other passages, that God wants us to grow as individuals and God wants us to build those spiritual disciplines in our, in our lives, study of the scriptures, memorizing, meditating on scriptures. But the purpose of the church is that so that people would grow, that we grow up, that we no, no longer are, chi are children. This passage talks about perfecting and the, the, the measure and the stature and those kinds of words. Growth and maturity is really important. Spiritual growth is important to the church. It really is. And everything we do as a church, everything that we do needs to be about that. That's a priority. Maturity, growing up, growing up. God does not want us to remain spiritual babies. The book of 1 Corinthians basically is all about that. You're babes. You need to grow, grow up. God wants us to grow. In fact, this is just a chart. Of, of everything that the church does, that the church can do better than any other organization. Discipleship, mentoring, preaching, teaching, service, evangelism, care, community, worship, giving, authority, and I ran out, and accountability, and I ran out of boxes. My point is that you need the church, and that all of those things, we're going to come back and talk about that in just a minute, that all of those things are designed to help people grow spiritual growth to grow in maturity right that's that's what his church is number two <coughs> unity is a big deal to god 
unity is a big deal to God. Look at the language. Joined <coughs> and knit together. I love that language. In fact, sometimes you, if you get the opportunity, you can study the context of, of chapter 4. But let me, okay, let's take a second. Look back to the beginning of chapter 4. Got your Bibles open? Ephesians 4. Look at the beginning of this chapter. I, verse 4, chapter 4. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with, with which you're called, with all lowliness and gentleness and long-suffering, bearing one another, bearing one another in love. Let me stop there just for a second. This, I know this sounds like, okay, Mel's up front and, he's, and I'm, I'm preaching at you. I want you to know that this is as important and in some ways more important to me and me personally than it is, it is to you too, okay? All right, so here it is. You've realized that if we acted that way, I beseech you, I encourage you, I beg of you, walk worthy of the Lord with all lowliness, with all gentleness, with long-suffering, Bearing with one another. If we all acted that way, there'd probably be really good unity in the church, right? And then verse 4 says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you're called, and one hope of your calling. One, oh, uh, Yeah, with verse 3, Endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. <coughs> there is one body, one spirit, just as you're called, and one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in you all. In other words, it's all about God. But this context itself is about the idea of unity, that all of us are part of this. And I think, you know, the big picture of what God's doing to realize that God is in this, I think that God gives us a sense of unity. We're all here to do the same things. It's not my little world. It's not your little world. This is a God thing. And I think that realizes that we're in this together. Pastor Todd's talked about that the last couple of times, right? That we're in this together. I think that does give us a sense of unity. Number three, <coughs> this too is a big deal to God's service. That's one of the reasons why we asked Drew to read that particular passage. And I'll mention that in just a minute And from, from Romans. That God intended work, service, ministry to be a big deal in the church. In fact, remember I highlighted the two grand purposes. Verse 11 says he gave, this is a God thing. Verse 12 says, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. Ministry is hard. It requires work. In fact, that, that's probably why sometimes we don't do it. Work. That everybody's to be involved, that everybody's to serve, that the Bible teaches things like spiritual gifts, that all of us have been equipped by God to serve and to do something that, that the church needs for us to do. And we'll talk about that in just, in just a moment. That it's the work of ministry. In the Bible, as I mentioned, I'm just going to highlight a few of these things. Ephesians 4, where we are. Look what it says, what I underline. From the whole body, join and knit together what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share. That's what God's plan is for the church. In other words, that every part, everybody has a role, but everybody does their role. The second passage, Drew read this. For, as men, as, for we have many members in one body, but all members do not have the same function. So we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. We have different gifts, different roles, different functions, but let us use them. Work. Third, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, for the body is one and has many members, but we are but all are members of that body, being, being many of one body, so also in Christ. A passage that's talking about spiritual gifts. That there are gifts that are in public and there are gifts that are behind the scenes and that all of us have a role to be involved in what God's doing. That's what we're here to do. 
And then a few weeks ago, we studied 1 Peter together. 1 Peter chapter 4, if you have your Bibles, if not, you just highlight that reference and look, look at it later. As each one, verse 10, 1 Peter 4, we studied that a few weeks ago. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Minister it to one another, I just read. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability that God supplies. That in all things, listen, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. In other words, all of this, the slides, it boils down to God is glorified when the church works and works together. Your gifts aren't the same as my gifts. Your abilities, your talents, your availability, is, it's not the same. And that's the idea. We're all doing this together. We're all in this together. So let's serve. Let's get together because the church need that God, God designed for all of us to work. It, it is his plan, as I talked about already. The church is not giving people what they want. That's consumerism. James talks about that. It's equipping them to serve God. It's equipping us to serve God. That's what he wants. And that's what the church is all about. Number four, these two go together a lot. I love the language in a lot of the, la- a lot of the verses that I read to you. And that is where the Bible talks about every joint or every part. And I think maybe uh, as 21st century Americans, we look at that and, and see the individual side of that. Uh, we look at gifts and we look at, you know, what are, what are my gifts, my abilities? But that's really not the focus of, of the language. The language is like that all of us, yeah, are individuals and we all have individual stories, individual testimonies, individual backgrounds, and that's why all of us need to come to Christ individually, that, that God sent his son to die on the cross for us. That's the gospel, the good news. But that God then works in our lives individually, works in our lives and give each one of us individual gifts. I, I showed you all those references about that. To work together. And the language here in Ephesians where it talks about things like every part and every joint really implies that there's a commitment to each other. That that's what God's intent is for the church. That there's a commitment to each other. So that brings me to my puzzle illustration this morning. Nobody likes a puzzle with a piece missing. For those of you that won the puzzles, they're, they're sealed. I didn't take a piece out to prove my illustration. I did. They're sealed by the magic of Sam Walton in Walmart. But... Um, yeah, that's the missing pieces. I just took some of the ministries of our church and plugged them into the illustration of the, the puzzle. And again, it's a simple, simplistic illustration. But there's a piece missing. And God wants all of us to be involved. And God never intended church to be this... Uh, spectator sport where we just show up and watch although pastor todd even said it this morning quickly that assembling together forsake not the assembling that that's also a priority but it's designed to be for that mutual fellowship that mutual growth which is like what we're doing now hearing god's word and 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 the fellowship and the worship and all of those things together that god has designed his and so god wants all of us to to work together, to use our gifts, to be a part of what he's doing. And that's where the commitment to each other comes in. Growth, I mentioned this just in passing a few, a few minutes ago, that you read through this passage, and I read it once to you already. You will come to the conclusion, you will, that growth is pretty important to God. There's one thing I want you to highlight about growth, and I put some verses there in the circle that talk about Acts numerical growth. And I did that because this passage talks a lot about spiritual growth that's here. And one of the things that is often true, especially 
here in Ephesians 4, that, that growth, the, the language that Paul wrote, the language implies that growth is a natural thing. It happens from within to people that are getting the, the, nourish, the nourishment and the feeding, and growth happens. And isn't that what's true with, you know, with uh, us as humans? I mean, it's kind of fun, right? It's Marcus, little Marcus, baby Walker Marcus. He's kind of a church baby, right? I mean, you've all kind of adopted Todd's kids and my, my grandkids. And uh, Marcus is six weeks old. And he's turning out to be a pretty big boy, right? Right? He is growing. Uh, I think Janine has that ability to help babies grow. I think she does. But to realize growth, and that's what God has for us. Yeah, we start as babies, but we don't end up that. We grow, and growing spiritually and growing numerically is also something that God does. You know, this is heavy. This is serious. But accountability is also taught in this passage. It's interesting that in this passage, Christ is referred to as the head and in this passage, it talks about pastor-teachers, that pastors lead. Remember I said this before, that pastors lead, that one of the ways the pastors feed, pastors lead by, by teaching and teaching of the Word of God. And that certainly is built into the fabric of, of Scripture. I, I think, you know, have you ever seen like in business where there's like flow charts and you got at the top, you got one box, right, that's the president and Underneath there, it's the vice presidents, and, you know, underneath there, you got the directors or whatever it is. We've all seen those, right? I've always thought the church, it's probably impossible to diagram in a flow chart the church. Because you have to start with Jesus. And then you have to, you know, have elders and pastors, but then you, then you also have uh, decisions that are made by the congregation. In other words, my point is the church is different than the world. And in the church, there is an accountability, a public accountability that all of us have because we're a part of a church. We're a part of that. And the Bible teaches that as well, and we'll talk more about that. And this passage ends by Ephesians 4 by talking about at the very end about the body edifying of itself in love. And that's pretty cool to realize that at the end of all of this, that God emphasized love, accepting love, wanting what's best for other people, love, that edifying, helping each other grow spiritually kind of love. So let's make this incredibly personal, right? First of all, love shows up in life. John chapter 13 says, by this all will know. The visibility of that love, that you are my disciples, you are my followers, if you have love one for another. But think about that, that edifying of itself in love. You know what your job in the church is? To edify other people in scripture, in, 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 in spirituality, in spiritual, to help them grow spiritual. That's what we're here to do. And if we're hurting that from happening, then that's not what God has for us. Everybody has a role here. And that this passage ends it up well by helping other, by, by concentrating certainly on ourselves and helping us, each one as individuals, doing the things that we need to grow. But helping other people grow spiritually. That's what the church is all about. And uh, like putting a puzzle together, we're frustrated if it doesn't fit and we're frustrated if the pieces aren't there. And I think God has given us uh, this passage to tell us what the church is all about. Anyway, um, yeah, I want to close with a little illustration. I actually have another puzzle. Wyoming Valley Church, a place where all are welcome. So I found a, yeah, I found an internet site that, uh, that made me a puzzle. What I was going to do is, uh, you know, give everybody a piece and make you bring it back and put it together. And I'm not sure that'll ever happen. But um, humor me. 
This is my illustration. You want humor? I was thinking about doing that with a thousand piece. <laughs> 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 um, here, here it is. I want you to take a puzzle piece. And uh, remember that the puzzle piece, the puzzle, the big picture, is Wyoming Valley Church, a place where all are welcome. Okay? I'm going to give you a puzzle piece. And uh, put it in your pocket, put it in your wallet, take it home, put it in the dresser, put it in the mirror. I, I don't care. I'm not asking you to bring it back and we'll put it together. I, I think, you know, we'd lose some pieces and then little Finn or my dad would be, would be frustrated. But um, I, I just want you to, to remember an illustration that uh, the church is God's idea. And uh, you're a part of what God's doing. So I'm going to... There's, um, what was it, 108 pieces. Everybody, just take a piece of the puzzle. Yeah, just pass, pass it through. Everybody just take it. And, uh, yeah, don't, don't leave until you get a piece of the puzzle. Put it in your pocket, put it in your wallet, put it in your purse. Drill a hole, put it around your neck. No, just, uh, just what you remember. You're a part of something that God's doing. Yeah, you are. And we need your piece of the puzzle, right? Let me pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for Ephesians 4. I thank you for what that passage teaches us about every part, every joint. And today we just use a simple illustration of, of a puzzle. But this illustration is to help us think that we're a part, of, it's big, it's what we're doing, we're a part of that. And we fit. And God, I just pray that uh, this little illustration, that we would take this and that we help help, it, help us to remember that we are a part of what God is doing, what God you are doing here at Wyoming Valley Church, but also big picture for the church in this age of what you're doing. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your church. And to help us be as those who know you as our personal savior to be a part of what you're doing help us to realize that it takes unity it takes commitment it takes love all of those things that we talked about god i just pray that you use our church use this church for your glory for eternity as we edify each other in love in jesus name we pray amen okay uh, thank you folks please yeah make sure the puzzle gets around um again humor me <laughs> take a piece of puzzle don't leave until you have one and uh, just keep it. That's all, I'm, that's all I'm asking you to do. And remember that uh, what it is is a part of the big picture of what, of what God is doing in the church. Okay, folks, when you have your piece of the puzzle, you can go.